Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. How you doing, buddy? I got a little stuffiness. I'm sorry, everybody. Hang in there. Thanks for coming, friend. I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> and I am Greta Johnson. And this week, actress Yael Grobgloss. She plays Petra on the CW show Jane the Virgin, which, if I might say, is the best show on TV. You love this show. I love this show, but you love it the most. I do love it the most. It brings me a lot of joy. It's one of those perfect shows that is part of a genre and also making fun of that genre mm-hmm. at the same time. So four seasons in, we have a telenovela but also something that's a self-deprecating version of a telenovela. Yeah, it's just really fun and delightful and ridiculous. And Petra, I think, embodies all of that, too, this character that Yael plays, because she's just, like, the perfect soap opera villain. So I am done with nice. Here she is in the pilot episode telling her husband that she might be pregnant with the semen of his that she stole, because that's fun and romantic, right? You might be a father. We'll know in two weeks. I used your sample, baby. You what? Without telling me? I wanted it to be romantic. Hijinks! Total insanity. Hilarity ensues. Petra is such a great character on this show because while she starts off as a very real soap opera villain, over the course of these three seasons and now into the fourth, she's got so much more nuance and has become a really likable, though still very difficult character, which is just really fun. And in true telenovela fashion, Yael does play her own evil twin. So she plays Petra and she also plays Anishka. We'll talk with Yael about what that's like and what it's like to create a villain that people love to hate. And then we will dive in with her about her obsession, which, lucky for all of us, is cooking and eating. Before we begin, a quick programming note that this conversation will include some spoilers for Jane the Virgin Season 3. Alert. Alert. Yael, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you were born in Paris, grew up in Israel, and started your career doing television over there. Was the telenovela a familiar form of show to you before you joined Jane the Virgin? It was. Little known fact is that many people in Israel love telenovelas. I didn't grow up personally watching them, but most of my friends adored them. And I would many times, you know, come up to a friend's house and see them and, and, you know, they wouldn't even turn around to greet me at the door because they'd be so into whatever was happening on the TV. So, yes, I knew all about them, but I wasn't actually watching them myself. And you, from the beginning, were sort of pitted as the villain especially early on in this show. Mm -hmm. The character was described as a trophy wife turned mom entrepreneur. I find both of those words kind of a bummer, (laughs) just as a feminist. But, you know. I think mom entrepreneur is not bad. (laughs) I just feel like you don't say dad entrepreneur just because somebody has kids, though, right? That's actually very true. I didn't think about that. That's true. Um, (laughs) As long as she named that I mean, she named herself that. Then that's, that's okay. That's true. That's like, good. If she wants to that's call good. herself that, then I'm okay with that. Absolutely. But I would support more dads calling themselves dad entrepreneurs too. Yeah, I like that. That's true. <laughs> What's it like to play into and against those stereotypes in this character? 
it was actually very interesting because in the beginning I was a little hesitant about taking on the role of a villain. As you know, I mean, shows can go on for, I don't know, 7, 10, 15 years. And I was like, I don't know if that's how I want the world to see me. So I hopped on the phone with our incredible creator, Jenny Ehrman, and um, had a bit of, of a conversation with her about what she had in mind for Petra. And that's when she explained to me that she's actually always going to be extremely interesting and, you know, kind of people are going to hopefully love her one moment and hate her the next. And, and I think we kind of... I love that idea. And we took it from there. And she's been very true to her word. And Petra's gone on this crazy adventure. <laughs> I would have never guessed that this is where Petra was going. But it's been fascinating. There's so much nuance in the character over the course of these seasons. And one of the things that the character does incredibly well is some physical comedy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I wonder, was that something that you'd done much of beforehand? I had kind of done some and I knew that I loved it. I feel like this is just... Okay, part of why this interview is interesting and new to me is the way I communicate most of the time, and anybody who knows me can kind of vouch for that, is is facial expressions and, you know, weird sort of body language, hand gestures. I don't know. So communicating just with my voice is new. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like that was kind of what came most naturally to me. And when I, f I think the first scene where that kind of happened was when Petra and her mother, Magda, accidentally kidnap Ivan and lock him in a cupboard. And I don't know why, just something kind of came out there and I felt the, the room to kind of do that because, especially because the character of Petra, what makes her so funny to me is that every, she takes everything actually very seriously. Yes. <laughs> so I think that's where kind of that got created and, and became part of the character that I didn't know was going to happen before. Do you think your background in dance made you more comfortable sort of using your body to tell stories this way? Potentially, it could be. I mean, yeah, maybe. I think also my background in being Israeli and French. <laughs> you know, it's two peoples with a lot of kind of physical expressions. Like we, we talk with our hands, we, we express things that way. So I feel like that's part of it. And I have caught myself a couple of times on Jane the Virgin actually doing things that are very Israeli, sort of handle, you know, body language wise. And people just kind of stare at me and blink and like, what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? I just told them to get out. They're like, no, you made a weird sound and a strange hand gesture. I'm like, yeah, that counts. <laughs> like, no, nobody would know what that is. I'm like, oh, okay, let me, let me retry that. <laughs> Wait, what would that gesture be? Now I'm curious. Well, I can show you, but... I... <laughs> <laughs> but again, I'm trying to communicate just with my voice here, so this is new. Well, it's kind of like a flinging your hand sideways, imagining like straightening your hand out straight to the side and then going like... <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. I'm doing it right now. You can't see me, but you can maybe hear my hand whooshing past the microphone. Anyway, so if you catch strange kind of things like that in Jane the Virgin, that would probably just be mine. <laughs> and they're probably fun winks then for any Israelis watching. They're like, I know what's going on here. I think so. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> like one interesting thing I learned, because I only moved to the States three years ago, that whenever I try to say no... Many times people don't understand what I'm doing, because I'll just kind of do like a half head shake and I'll go... And people are like, they'll ask you a question. I'm like, yeah, I answered you. They're like, no. I'm like, yeah, I just said no. They're like, that's not a no. You, you made a clicking sound. <laughs> and in Israel, that's very common. You can kind of half shake your head and go, and that's a no. Here it kind of just means something more like, oh, shame. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so different forms of communication are interesting. <laughs> that's fascinating. Now, when you were originally cast, you were playing one character. Now mm -hmm. you're playing two <laughs> What's the best and the worst part about playing your own twin? Um, not many bad parts, actually. The, the only part that I could think is is a little more time consuming. Since you don't have two people doing a scene at the same time, you have to do every scene double. 
The best parts is obviously the challenge, which, you know, it's incredibly interesting to have to have another character show up. I mean, the 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 op the options are endless of what you can do. It's interesting having to come to approach that as an actor because it's so much more complicated than I ever thought. I mean, you're kind of used to relying. I guess I'm a little spoiled, you know, being able to rely on my fantastic co-stars to just bounce things off and and you know play into a scene and and react off what they're bringing. And you can't do that when it's just you against you. <laughs> Especially when it's physical stuff and you have to actually think about what you're reacting to as one character before you've actually done it as the other character. And sometimes they're a week apart. What was your inspiration when they told you, okay, you are going to have a twin, you're going to play this twin. Mm -hmm. Who did you look to to sort of craft this character from? Well, not very far, actually, because I didn't know I was having a twin show up. I read the script with the rest of the cast. About a week before people were coming up, the heads of different departments, you know, get the script first before we do. We kind of get it a day before or the day of or the day before the table read, which is a day before we start filming the actual episode. So about a week before people were coming up to me on set being like, so have you read the next episode? I'm like, no. Oh, my God. Why? And I always think I'm going to be killed off. Sure. It could happen on that show. It can happen on any show. It can happen. And Jenny's very friendly. So I'm always like, she wouldn't. She wouldn't just, you know, kill me without telling me. Right. <laughs> but I always think, I'm, you know, my paranoid brain is just always going there anyway. Um, and so. Um, sorry, ADD. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Right. So. <laughs> so. They were kind of coming up and I knew something was happening. And when I finally got the episode, it's kind of built in a way that it looks like Petra's running away. And it made sense. And I was like, no, no. Am I going to be killed off? Am I running away? Like, what's happening? And at the end, this twin sister shows up. And so I call um, I call Jenny at the end. I'm like, can we talk about this? She's like, yeah. So she's a twin sister. Her name is Anishka. Oh, I think she had a different name in the beginning, actually. And... Um, and she's a ferocious eater. She yelps when people get near her. She scratches people in the face. <laughs> um, and I was like, I know this person. This is my cat. <laughs> so Aneshka has been based on my cat, Pablo, who gets a lot of what I call getting the fear. When anything happens, anybody moves a foot <laughs> or pulls a chair, he kind of goes, you know, he yelps and kind of stares at you with giant round eyeballs and is, all his hair is on his back is standing up or he'll scratch you just out of fear. Constant vigilance in a cat. <laughs> exactly. Yes, per exactly. So that was Aneshka. So she's very much a cat, which I was raised with cats anyway, so that made sense to me. Um, I probably understand cats better than humans anyway. So, you know, she makes she makes a lot of sense to me. What animal would Petra be then? Probably also a cat. <laughs> Yeah. A different cat. <laughs> Just a different personality. Cats. Cat. No, no. Um, I don't know. Petra. Hmm. That's a good question. Petra. She's just a slightly better behaved cat, maybe. <laughs> maybe she's a better behaved cat. She's a more snobbish cat. <laughs> As opposed to my hysterical Pablo. <laughs> Would you be game for a triplet? Yes. Actually, I kind of have a secret dream of some, like, skinny dude showing up with a mustache being played by yours truly. <laughs> that would be pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, pale skinny dude <laughs> from the Czech Republic. That would be great. So you mentioned that there's always a little bit of trepidation before getting a new script because it's possible that you could be in telenovela style, killed off or have something very dramatic happen. Does that make it more exciting as an actor to have such high stakes? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. You should see how involved we all are in our characters and our characters' lives. The table reads are the best because that's usually when we all get to first read the script. And the emotions are overflowing. We're, 
were, you know, crying, screaming, laughing at each other. Like, there's so much feeling. There's There are tears every single episode. I mean, the worst one was really... The worst slash best, I mean, most emotional, was was um, the one where Michael... I mean, have you watched? You know what happened. Oh, yeah. Right? We'll put a little okay, spoiler okay. warning at the front All of the right, episode. All right, good. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, before I kill this for everyone. Um, so when Michael... Um, when Michael's character gets killed off uh, the table, we all knew it was coming. So we all had, you know, we never really got used to the idea, but the, we all had some time to process, probably around six months. <laughs> and then, but still apparently not enough. We brought, uh, his girlfriend Haley came and made us all alien masks and we had all bought him this cast gift. And we were all wearing alien masks and bawling our eyes out, oh. like under the alien masks. Um, tears were flowing from under our chins. Uh, you know, just a lot of feelings. So we care a lot about our characters and, you know, what happens to them. So, yeah, of course, the fact that the stakes are high, there's just so many feelings. You go from crying to laughing to crying to, to you know, full of heart. And it's just there's so many feelings in one episode. When you do the table reads, is the narrator there? Because he's such a fantastic part of the show. But I imagine that that might be the only time on set or in the process that you're necessarily interacting with this super important voice in the show. Yeah, no, he's absolutely like one of the cast. He's one of the he's one of our, you know, main cast members. He's he's might have the biggest role in the show. <laughs> he's uh he's he's um when he's in New York, he he Skypes in. So it's actually very funny. Most of the time we've had like this big screen with his face on it and his like voice <laughs> coming out. The giant head of the narrative. Exactly. And usually people who come for the table for the first time, either guests or like people who come to do a new episode, they're, they're cracking up laughing because it's exactly like on the show. Um, he's been there a couple times now. Yeah. So he does come. It's great to have him around anyway. We love him. Jane's quinceañera was, without a doubt, the worst party she'd ever been to. But not for lack of effort. In fact, Jane had planned a day down to a tea. I imagine that you sometimes get recognized on the street, but that for him it might be that he's just sort of in line at the grocery store or something and speaking on the phone and people go, is that, could that? I think a bunch of us actually asked him to record our voicemails. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. He has such a brilliant voice. It should voice. be yeah. noted. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Leave a message after Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's wonderful. What she didn't plan, that her mother would take over the mic and perform the number one hit currently sweeping the nation. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours. So what can you tell us, without spoilers, of course, about what you're most excited about for the new season of Jane the Virgin? Well, uh, I don't know much more about than you do, so <laughs> for everything that's coming, since I know... Okay, after the first season finished, we were all kind of like, okay, that was incredible, and a whirlwind and amazing. And just, you know, personally, it was this crazy ride for all of us. After two months of being on the air, approximately, you know, we were at the Golden Globes and Gina won. It was this whole crazy thing that was happening to all of us. And the show, everything that happened on the show was amazing. And then we finished season one. We're like, how can this possibly continue? <laughs> you know, like how much more can happen in these people's lives, ours and the characters? <laughs> and it just did. And season two was in my eyes, you know, even greater than season one and then season three, even greater than season two. And it, it just keeps getting better and better. So no matter how creative I might think I am, you know, I can never manage to predict actually what's going to happen on this show. It's always wilder and more incredible than I can ever imagine. And and so I know that's going to be that way this season two. It's already started. You know, we're mid season. We're mid episode three right now uh, filming. And, mm -hmm. and it's incredible. And the work is, 
you know, so rewarding and so much fun. And it's just going and hanging out with some of my favorite people on the planet, which is, you know, the cast and crew. So that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> we had Jaime on the show a while back, and it was such a joy to talk with him, too. It feels like you guys really do have a familial set. It makes sense for a family-focused show, but not always the case, I'm guessing, as an actor, that it really can feel oh, yeah. that close. No, it's it's been, I mean, especially, I can speak for myself that I've moved here three years ago. I didn't know anybody. Um, I have my friends, you know, now, but I didn't know anyone. So they, they're really my second family. They They've been... They're just the most warm, welcoming, happy bunch. And I think everybody, well, partially what makes this show so special to me is that we're all very aware of how lucky we are. We've all been out of jobs. We know how hard it is to be an actor. We know how lucky it is not only to be an actor working, which is rare, but an actor working on something you really like, which is even rarer. And then an actor working on something you really like and also with people you really like, that's, you know, incredible. So I think we're just very grateful to be there. Sounds absolutely like a joy to make, which is good because it's a joy to watch. Thank you. I hope it shines through. <laughs> Stick around for Yale's conversation with Iron Chef and Food Network royalty Alex Garnaschelli. I think an egg is a really quick way to get to France on a weeknight that's not too <laughs> overwhelming. You're listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. On Nerdette, we also like to talk to our guests about the thing they are obsessed with. Yael told us she loves cooking and eating. So we brought an expert on the phone, world-famous chef Alex Garnaschelli. She's the 2012 winner of the Iron Chef competition. She's a regular judge on my other favorite TV show, Chopped. Mm -hmm. She has a new cookbook out. It's called The Home Cook, Recipes to Know by Heart. Alex is also the executive chef of a restaurant in New York called Butter, which is actually where she called from when she talked to Trisha and Yael. And from the sounds of it, she may or may not have been inside a walk-in freezer this whole time. It is possible. Alex, I've heard from a lot of actors that one of the reasons they really love cooking shows and competitive cooking shows is that they can watch them to unwind because it feels less like they're watching work because it's not the same as the work they do day to day. So I wonder, what TV do you watch to unwind? That's a great question. Um, I do, by the way, watch competition cooking shows sometimes, although I don't at all find it relaxing. Um, (laughs) I do that more as a study in my own uh, accidental field of expertise. As far as relaxing shows, um, I like car racing a lot, but it's for that very reason. I'm not part of the pit crew. I don't have to worry if a million-dollar tire falls off a three-million-dollar car. And I can watch people go around and around a track in a multi-million-dollar piece of... um, metal and that that i find therapeutic that somebody else feels like they're in a literal pressure cooker i also watch um i watch a lot of mystery um shows on pbs 
that's my mother's fault. You know, I grew up with her watching these, you know, women weeping on big, beautiful English landscapes. And so from Downton Abbey all the way to whatever else, I, I love those shows. And then I also watch, you know, some super trashy stuff. Like, I really loved stuff like I can really get lost in something like The Hills. Sure. I really Good. can. And um, I love Billions on Showtime, and I love Ray Donovan. So I guess it's either homicidal or sad. Sign me up. <laughs> or spinning in a circle in a car very fast. One might argue that's both homicidal and sad, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, you've mentioned that you like some cooking shows. What's the appeal for you? What are you trying to get out of that? Well, I don't watch many of them. I actually don't watch that much television. Uh, but for me, I'm really just studying to see what people do. Um, you know, especially because it forces you to be under a bit of a time crunch. Um, mm -hmm. So to see what you can create brilliantly and quickly. Yeah, I think it's a really great way to kind of figure out how to consolidate. It's sort of a great way to identify who you really are. Because you're yeah. like, wait a minute, I have to do something here. I, can't, I have to produce. I imagine it's similar like when you're in a movie or a TV show and you've, it's time for you to say your lines. It's time for you to mm -hmm. play your part. You know, this is it. I mean, tomatoes, wasabi, crying <laughs> over a lost uh, boyfriend or, you know, <laughs> hanging from a cliff in a sling. I suppose it's all somewhat the same. I, probably. <laughs> Rumor has it, people who can cook are not as good as at baking. And people who can bake can't cook. Now, this applies to me and one of my best friends. who She can bake, and I drive her crazy because I'm a good cook, but I try to improvise with baking, and that's when everything just goes flat. I think it's a different art. I definitely um, do. Um, I think it's a different way of working because you weigh out everything, you measure everything, and you plan everything, and it's, it's mostly science when you're baking. You either get it right or it doesn't work, and with cooking, you have more room for, I mean, you can fail just as easily and make something that doesn't taste good, but you have more opportunity to repair something that goes off the rails. And so, yeah, I think certain personalities are much better at savory cooking and others are much better at baking. Yes. But I think you can learn it. I think, honestly, from what I've seen, savory chefs can do nominal baking more easily than bakers can do savory cooking, generally. Although I will say there are magical exceptions to every rule. So there's still hope for me. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> what are the five go-to French dishes that I could kind of whip up quickly every day when I get home from a long day at work? I mean, I definitely think that you, you want to go with the simple stuff in that case, obviously, because you don't want, most of all, you don't want a sink full of dishes. I really, <laughs> I love quiches and I love omelets and I love egg work because I think you get so much magical taste and texture from eggs and they're familiar. So when you take a little risk with them, it's stretching beyond what you're familiar with. So I, I love to make like a crustless quiche, which is essentially just a, a quiche batter whipped together. I usually do something super French, like some sautéed leeks or some sautéed mushrooms in the bottom, and I just bake it in a nonstick pan so that I don't have to worry about it sticking and not having a crust. Or you could buy a pre-made tart shell and just pour the quiche in there and bake it. And it's so underrated, a quiche. I feel like we, we really don't think about it. And also, I love an omelet for dinner. Um, just some eggs. I love using seasonal things like spring or summer, even fall, onions or ramps or garlic scapes or garlic chive just thrown in the middle with a little bit of like a super barnyardy gruyere cheese and just baked a little bit or cooked stovetop or broiled. 
um, is a great way to really get to France in a hurry. I obviously want to suggest things like souffles and other stuff, but that's obviously much more labor-intensive. So I think an egg is a really quick way to get to France on a weeknight that's not too <laughs> overwhelming. I also love a classic you know, French bistro dish, just some cooked lentils with a little sherry vinegar and black pepper and like a, a quickly cooked chicken paillard with just a smear of mustard. I mean, just mm. sometimes just a little vinegar, mustard, and lentils, and you're right in the middle of a French bistro. And it's, it's easy enough to do that you're not, you know, you don't sit down to dinner at 11 o'clock. I just have one more question for Alex, if I may, which is I've always wondered what the craft services is like on the set of a cooking show because... <laughs> yeah, it's stressful for them. <laughs> right, like how do you feed chop judges in yeah. between tape? The craft services on the chop set, for example, or on a lot of Food Network shows are amazing. I mean, the thing that's hard for me is they'll have a lot of healthy stuff, really delicious, and they'll also have some obviously naughty stuff. And I just, it comes down to making good choices, you know, which is, you know, then it's my fault. And, and then I have to get upset because I want to blame craft services, but I can't. <laughs> so we'll have, you know, an array of fresh fruits, cheese and crackers, muffins, cereal. There's an omelet station. There's so much food always. And sometimes when the food is, you know, a little, let's say, complex um, on the plate and you're judging and you go to craft services, you're sort of looking for something to make you believe and love again. You know, after you've had like an, you know, an anchovy tail sandwich with, you know, bananas and, you know, gummy candy, you want something that kind of reminds you that the world is still a good place. And that's a big responsibility for craft services to have. And, I, and, they, and they really always do it so brilliantly. I'm always so impressed. But you're right. Nobody thinks about it. Like crafty on a cooking show? That's got to be something. And it sure is. I wonder. Most of us just eat half a jar of peanut butter. I mean, that's that's the real. <laughs> that's my issue. Once I see that jar of peanut butter, I'm I'm dead in the water. I feel like each of you are adventurous eaters and pretty well traveled. And I wonder, Yael first, and then Alex. What's your tip for me if I was to go traveling on the best way to, in a place where I'm not familiar with, find something delicious without just going to my phone and looking for reviews? Like, how can I? discover something if I'm a stranger in a strange land? Look for the most local people. <laughs> look for people selling stuff in shops. Uh, you look for people who obviously live in a place and then just ask them because then you'll get their favorite places that they've been going to probably, you know, for half their lives and and the most genuine recommendations that are not just based on stuff that uh, people are trying to kind of sell you online. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's always a central square or a marketplace in a lot of places, and I generally start there because I think you're going to find good stuff there, but you're also going to find the vendors. And when you find vendors that are selling local ingredients and good stuff, they know where the good stuff goes because they sell it. You know, So you can sort of start with where's the good yogurt, where are the good donuts, where's the good bakery, and then where does that bakery deliver to? And that's how you kind of nose to tail find the purveyors and the good restaurants anywhere you go. Ah, I like that reverse engineering. Yes, exactly. That's very good. Thank you both so much for joining us on Nerdette. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up after the break, homework. You're listening to Nerdette. 
And now, homework. The cornerstone of great cooking all starts with a great vinaigrette. So get my cookbook and make one vinaigrette or salad dressing from that chapter of the book and slather it on everything except dessert. I feel like there are desserts that involve balsamic reductions, though. I mean, not to, like, argue with Alex about putting vinaigrette on. How dare you, anyway. Greta? How <laughs> yeah. dare you question an Iron Chef? Uh, once I said it, it did feel a little disrespectful. That's I true. mean, one of my favorite breakfasty things is to put balsamic vinegar on fruits. Oh, see? Yeah. I but mean, that's... Is that a dessert? Mm, if it's, I mean, if you eat it after dinner, for sure. I said breakfast. I know, but you how can eat that you? after dinner. <laughs> Did you just how dare me twice in like I did. 30 seconds? <laughs> because how dare you? Because you are questioning Alex Gernichelli, Iron Chef, okay. judge of Chopped. I'm sorry. Pardon mother me. of dragons. <laughs> I have two more pieces of homework, if you don't mind, if I do dare. Oh, fine. Uh, watch Jane the Virgin, obviously. Yeah. Season four has begun. It is excellent. You're going to love it. Also, there's a new Philip Pullman out. What? Yeah, man. This is like a continuation of the His Dark Materials series. Very exciting. Just got it on Audible. Read it. Listen to it. Do whatever you want with it. Very, very exciting. Oh, and I have one more shout out. Can I have a shout out? I'm going (laughs) to let you finish. (laughs) My shout out is to my friend Suzette because she had a baby earlier this week and named her Petra Rose Mayu. How cute is that? (gasps) Wait, after Petra? I'm not sure, actually. But I mean, yes. Because of all the characters on that show. I know. Love you, Yael, but I'm not sure I would name my offspring <laughs> after that character. She might not be a Jane the Virgin watcher, but it seemed like enough of a coincidence that it was worth mentioning on the show. Congratulations, Susie. We're very excited about Petra. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. Our intern is B. Aldrich. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. It's also really helpful if you leave us some stars in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Thanks to Kai the Fly and Stephanie Wallace for the awesome reviews. Oh, are you going to say a thing? Well, here's the thing I think is really interesting. I think that may be the very first time we've just had someone's name to say. <laughs> Stephanie Wallace. It's a hey, person. Stephanie it's Wallace. It's a real person. I like yeah. to play this little game usually where I'm like, what does it what mean? Is it, is it the year they were born? I think what is all this? Stephanie Wallace. <laughs> but is that a ruse? <laughs> you think maybe? I think Stephanie Wallace is their alter ego. I'm just mm. saying. It could Stephanie, be. holler at us if you're out there and you're actually just... Whatever your real name is. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerdette Podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Let me breathe in enough air so that I don't have to breathe. <gasps> oh, no. The plan was foiled. All right. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.